Good morning and welcome to worship. If you want to begin getting ahead in your Bible, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to get a few thoughts out of there. <clears throat> From time to time as we meet, we hear this question, and I'm going to ask it again, and it's not a new question. But I'd like you each to think within your heart, why are you here? Why are you in this room? Why did you choose to go on this YouTube channel? Why? What are you looking for? Why'd you get here today? Why'd you come here today? You know, it's easy to get into a routine. This is what we do. We're a Christian country. And so we go to church on Sunday. That's what we were raised to do. And that's what my mom and dad did. That's what's expected of me. Um, I would assume there's a few of you are here because a boy or a girl asked you to come here. Some of you may be here because somebody that you're close to and you're friends with, they ask you, hey, why don't you come to, to church with us? That might be a good reason. So if you're here and you were here because of that, what do you want out of today? What's your objective? What are you looking for? Um, is it just something to occupy a little bit of your time? Is it, is it just what you do? Or do you have an objective? My goal for all of us is that we have an objective, that it isn't something that just happens, that every Sunday you just go to church. I hope that you come here because there is something here that fills you, that you have a desire to be here, that this is a place of refuge. This is a place that fills you, that is not just a place where you make contacts, but it is a very, very valuable part of your day, very valuable part of your week, and a very valuable part of your life. Because if you're just going through the motions, you're missing so much, and I feel sorry for you because we don't want to just go through the motions. We want to be intentional about what we're doing because we're going to read about some people that were intentional about what they did. They didn't just go through the motions. They meant it. I'm going to read to you chapters, or the verses uh, 11 and 16. <clears throat> One reason to be intentional about what you're doing and to be studying and to be in God's word is that you may be driving to church some Sunday morning and your phone rings. And if you're smart, you don't answer it. And if you're not so smart, you answer because that's what you do. Once again, that's just what you do. And it may be the preacher on the other end of the phone, and they may be saying, hey, uh, can you open for me this morning? And you're thinking, I'm on my way to church. This is kind of late notice. <clears throat> Guilty. Um, I'm going to quit answering the phone. Anyhow, this is important. This is not just going through the motions. This is not just something to fill up your time until the main speaker can come through. This is a lesson we all need to take to heart. I'm going to read to you out of the King James Version. Through faith, starting in the 11th verse of the 11th chapter of Hebrews, through faith Sarah also received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang even one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude and as the sand which by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that such things 
such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out of, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. I don't know what that means to you. But I can tell you that when I read that, it's poetic. And it has a flow of words that I'm not familiar with. It's the King James Version. I don't talk that way. I don't read that way. I don't really think that way. And so it has some meaning. It has some value. But I want to read to you out of another version. Let's go. I'm going to read out of the NLT, which has become one that I like as a favorite. Tradition is important to me, and so I read everything in the NLT, and then I go back to King James and says, is that really what it says? Because to me, that's the right way to read it, because that's what I was raised with. So that's kind of a tweak that's kind of you know, humorous to myself that I'm that weird. I'm going to start reading in the first verse of Hebrews 11, and, and if, listen as we read along and see if this doesn't mean something to you. And why this is so important and so special is I could spend a lot of time talking to you about examples of how the world has just turned upside down recently. But you all know those. You've all lived that. We don't need to dwell on the reason the world's turned upside down because you've got your own examples. And we could really depress each other by talking about how bad things have gotten and really depress each other about how the future looks so uncertain and really depress each other about what are we going to do next and what's our kids going to do and what's school going to be like and what's... Let's, let's stay off that. Let's stay on, on God's things. Because that's what we're here for. We're here about God. Starting in the first verse. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought forth a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God shows his approval of his gifts. Though Abel was long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. And before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking towards a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now we're ready for the 11th verse. And it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was old, 
She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there was no way to count them. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they'd longed for the country they had come from, they would have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he was preparing a city for them. And it goes on and on. The things I want us to get out of this is God's people, even though they had all these things happen, they had faith and they were looking for something else. And in the world that they lived in, they had a good reputation. I don't know what that means to you, but to me that means that in the world around them that was upside down and was topsy-turvy, because they had a faith in God, they had a good reputation. They were a light to the people that they were around. I think they gave hope to the people that they were around. They encouraged them because they weren't looking for what was happening around them. That wasn't important. In fact, it probably didn't even matter. They were looking for an eternal home. They were living for eternity in this earth. They were living for eternity. Right now, they were living for eternity. That's the faith I want. I want to be encouraged. I want to be built up, and that's why I'm here. I want to forget the upside-down world that I have to deal with Monday through Saturday. And I want to be able, when I live in that upside-down world, to have faith and to have hope and to have joy and to have peace. And our meeting today even started with that, as, as Butch openly talked about peace. This is a place of peace and safety. And if it isn't to you, I encourage you to, to take a hard look at why you're here. Take a hard look at your reason for coming to church. Because it should be to glorify Jesus who saved you and give you peace and give you joy and excitement. Because this last year we lived through and perhaps the next few years is just a blip. It's just a little tiny blip. If it doesn't pass in this earth, it will pass in our lives because eternity is what we're living for. That's what matters. And let's not lose focus of that. Let's not get so focused on the, the frustrations. They're there. And if it isn't the things that we're dealing with now, the uprest, it'll be something else. And it may not be a worldwide thing, but it'll be in your heart if you can't find peace. It may be just an aggravation that's just to you. So, it's time for prayer. Do we have any prayer requests? Good morning. Welcome to Cornerstone. You see a title here at the top of the board. You know, question, then do. That comes from a dadism. Maybe you know what a dadism is. It's something I'm very guilty of. There are certain kind of phrases that dads say to their kids in certain situations. And this was one of my favorite. I couldn't resist it. Because you'd have a child that you were reminding them of something, and, and they would just kind of look at you and say, Oh, Dad, yeah, I know, I know, I know, and I know. And you'd say, If you know, then do. So that was my dadism. That I, and all my kids heard that over and over again. <clears throat> Does God ever do that to us? Does he ever look at us? <clears throat> And say, if you know, 
then do. There's a very close connection between belief or knowing and doing. And we look at that as uh, deductive reasoning a little bit. If, if you know something, <clears throat> then you should do it. And by deductive reasoning, we can say the opposite is true. If you don't do it, then you must not know it or believe it. Maybe God looks at us like that sometimes too and wonders, if we really know something, why don't we follow through? Why don't we do it? Why don't we show it? Why don't we prove it or exercise it? of what we actually believe. The subtitle here is Lord Jesus Christ, the part that I don't believe. You know, is, is there a part about God that I don't believe or that you don't believe? Because in the line of that reasoning, if, the, if I'm not doing what God asked me to do in the kingdom of God, is there some aspect of that that I'm not believing? Now, let's follow that through just a little bit. We would like to think of ourselves as um, believers in Jesus Christ. We, we're fellow believers. We come and we fellowship together. We come on Sunday because we're, we're believers in Jesus Christ. We, we think of ourselves that way. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ. But is there anything at all about God that I really don't believe you know maybe that maybe we could just call it ignorance uh, and you think well you know if i just um maybe if i got on one of those read the bible in a year programs and just read the bible completely through and i learned everything there is to know about god then i could just believe it or maybe it's willful disbelief perhaps i i've concluded that i've got all the essential salvation bases covered and all the rest of that, well, I just don't understand it. I mean, it's just kind of, you know, the Sermon on the Mount and the, you know, the, the prophecies. And I, got the, I got the essential things covered. Or maybe we have that uh, basket theology. You ever heard that? Basket theology says this. I'm going to put all my theological eggs in one basket, and here it is. This is what you say when you believe that. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know, there's nothing wrong with any of those three approaches or thoughts. You know, it's a good thing to go to read the Bible to learn more and more about God. And it's a, it's a good thing to cover the salvation bases, the essential things. And it's a good thing to simply say, God said it, I'm going to believe it, and it's all done. There's nothing wrong with that, those kinds of thoughts. And yet, there keeps being this nagging question that keeps tap-tapping at the door of my heart. Is there something about God that I really don't believe? Because I'm not following through. I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at three portions in, Ma in, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 7. Okay, I am really off base now. I do want to get to Mark chapter 7, but let's go back into Matthew chapter 7. I got myself confused here. We do want to begin at Matthew chapter 7. Chapter 7 of Matthew is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's at the end of it. And there's just a few things here that Jesus brings up in this Sermon on the Mount that I call the manual. 
The Sermon on the Mount is the manual of the kingdom principles of the kingdom of heaven. There are several chapters involved, 5, 6, and 7, and these are principles of the kingdom of heaven. And in this one little portion here, chapter 7, verse 15, he's going to identify a principle about how to identify false prophets and believers. So chapter 7, verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So this principle is about detecting false prophets. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. That's a kingdom principle that is carried on through the rest of the Bible. That by the fruit of my life, it can be told what I'm thinking and what my belief system is. That's a kingdom principle. And he makes it very clear there that by your fruit, you will be known or you'll be detected. So this is a way of identifying false prophets. It's also a way of identifying a true believer because you're identifying by their fruits. Now, hold that principle thought. Let's go on now to Mark, Mark chapter 7. We're going to look at three portions in Mark in chapter 7, 8, and 9, just th three little sections out of each of those chapters. Mark chapter 7 begins, I'll begin in verse 14 here. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Now, we'll come back to that in just a little bit, but the context of that statement is the fact that the, some Pharisees showed up. They came from Jerusalem at the beginning of this chapter 7, and they noticed that the Jesus' disciples were eating bread, and they had not washed their hands. And four or five times it talks about unwashing hands and the fact that they had this tradition of the elders. They always had to wash their hands. You know, this is kind of interesting when, when the whole uh, C-19 took off. Everyone was washing their hands. They were talking about, I've never washed my hands so many times. You know, so we had a lot of experience with washing hands, but this is what the Pharisees brought up to Jesus and said, hey, your, your, your disciples here, they're not, they're not washing their hands, and they're eating. That's horrible. And you know what, what their obsession was? They had a ceremonial washing, and this, this is what it meant. They had to have two people, so I'd walk up to another person who had a little bit of water, and I would put my fingers straight up in the air, and they would dribble some water on me until some of it dripped off my wrist, and they would stop. And then I would turn my fingers down, and they would dribble some more water just so it fell off the tips there just a little bit. And then I would take my fist here, and I'd take my fist here, and they were done. They were clean. They were, they were holy then. But if they said, if you don't go through that and you go eat, then you are defiled, you're unholy, you're unclean in their thinking. So that's the context that leads up 
to this statement finally when Jesus says in verse 15, there is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, which means to make him holy, unholy or unclean. Nothing can come from the outside and go into man that's going to defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. Then he's going he's to separate two things. He's going to talk about the things that you eat and the things that you take into your heart. He makes a very clear distinction between those things. And if any man have ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 17, And when he had entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable, and he saith unto them, Are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him, because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly? So now he's separating between things you eat and things you take into your mind. And the things that go into your belly, they just go through your body and they're, they're gotten rid of. Um, and he said, and that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. Meaning the things that go into your heart and come out of you, that's what's going to defile you. For from within, out of the heart of men proceed, here's a list of the kinds of things that proceed out of a man's heart. And this can defile him. This can make him unholy. This can make him unclean. Proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness. You know, some of these are words, some are actions, and some are attitudes. All those kinds of things can proceed out of us. Words, actions, and attitudes. Deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile the man. That is, goes back to that principle, the kingdom principle, the thing, the fruit that comes out of your life. That is going to be the thing that is either going to defile you or you're going to be a person who's bringing glory unto God. Whatever it is that's coming out of your life, is going to defile you, or it's going to bring glory unto God. <clears throat> Jesus makes it very clear, though, that the things that you're, that you're taking in, such as food and so forth, you know, the, the Pharisees also had a lot of obsessions about the kinds of foods that they should eat, and all those, and we could have arguments all day long, even today, of what type of diet you should have, what type of, you know, so, that many carbs, this many this, or that, you know, vegetarian or not vegetarian, all those kinds of things. But he said, none of those things matter. What matters is what's going into your heart and then what's coming out of your heart. That's going to be the evidence. That's going to be the fruit of what you really think and what you really believe. You know, <clears throat> it doesn't matter at all what someone says they believe. It doesn't matter a single bit what a person thinks they believe. It only matters what comes out of their life. And what's visible. We can all read each other very clearly. Now, sometimes we get very good at disguising some things. But ultimately, our lives are very clearly read. It doesn't matter what we say we think. It doesn't matter what we think we think. It only matters or only shows what is coming out of the fruit of your life.
do the combined, combined evidence of our words, our actions, and our attitudes. This is something, uh, something to, to understand, to believe. And when we didn't fully understand this, but that God is fully aware of the fruit of my words, my actions, and my attitudes. God is fully aware of those things. Either it's something that's going to defile me or it's going to bring glory to God. Turn to the next chapter, chapter 8. This little passage beginning in 34, 834. <clears throat> and when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I'm sure you've heard that passage many times, and we're going to include that here, but we want to put together 34 through 38 because there's some very important details here. So he's setting up the thought, if you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself, you must take up your cross and, and follow me. There's very much a principle there, very much a picture of belief in Jesus Christ is a following through on the actions of your belief. But he goes on, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. So he's talking about saving your life for the sake, for the purpose of Jesus Christ, saving your life for the purpose of the gospel, which are the words of Jesus Christ, then you will save your life. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So in chapter 7, we are talking about things that defile you that come from within. And here... This is an interesting thought that we may not have fully believed before or understood it before, but what Jesus is describing here, <clears throat> that we, he's acknowledging that we all live in an adulterous and sinful generation. I think you'd all agree with that. In that adulterous, sinful generation, are we ever ashamed of Jesus Christ or of his word? Because he says that if you show by the fruit of your life that you are ashamed of Jesus Christ or ashamed of his word in the sinful, adulterous generation that you live in, then when I return in the glory of the Father with the holy angels, I will be ashamed of you. That's something new to believe if you, you really didn't understand that before. There's something new. There's a little piece of that. We need to understand it. We need to recognize it. <clears throat> when Jesus comes again, he is looking for people who have not been ashamed of him or ashamed of his word. 
need to let that think sink in. Then we have to ask ourselves, how, how do I do that? How have I been ashamed of Jesus Christ in the world that I live in? How have I been ashamed of his word? And, and this comes right down to daily life, daily actions, daily episodes, daily encounters with people. The, all the, the entire fruit of your life comes out here. How many opportunities have you missed to, sh to demonstrate or to show or to speak of your relationship and your knowledge and your belief in Jesus Christ or something in his word that would have been applicable in that conversation and you kept silent because I was ashamed to bring up Jesus because I live in a sinful and adulterous generation. sobering thought <laughs> and I'm just, I, I just have to let the Holy Spirit speak to you to bring up things in your memory when that might have been the case <clears throat> hold your place in Mark here but I want to switch over to 1 John chapter 2 to pick up another example here in, along the same theme 1 John chapter 2 1 John chapter 2, at, at verse 28, it says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, again, this is referring now to the coming again of Jesus Christ, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. There's a contrast between being ashamed or having confidence when Jesus comes again. That we would be people who are not ashamed of Jesus Christ or ashamed of his word. And to take every opportunity to be a witness. You know, and I don't, I don't look at this and, and say, <clears throat> uh, because you, um, so many times in your life, you didn't speak up that you're an unsaved person. I'm not going to put it at that level. But there may be times when we didn't fully understand God's principles and we had an opportunity and we didn't, and we should have. And we don't want God to be ashamed of us in any way. We want to be able to have confidence. And that day comes when he comes again and the clouds open up. That we can be, stand there confidently saying, even so, come Lord Jesus. And we know we all fail. There's going to be times when we have, we have shamed God. And we don't want to be in that kind of condition where he would be ashamed of us because of the fruit of our lives. Now, turn back to, into Mark in the next chapter, chapter 9. We'll just, another little piece here. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. And here's a situation where a man brings a son who's demon-possessed to Jesus and has been since an early child. And they brought him unto him, verse 20 of Mark 9, 20. 
They brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirits tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oft times they hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I admire that man so much. There was a man who could stand there, confess his total faith, his total belief in Jesus Christ that he could heal, he could make a difference, he could throw out this demon. And he goes on and he does that. And that young man is lifted up and he's, and he's normal again because the demon's been ripped out of his, his heart and his soul. But he had belief in Jesus Christ and he confessed it before everybody that was standing there. Lord, I believe that right here on this street, at this moment, that you can make a difference, that you can tear this demon out of my son's life. I believe that. But Lord, if there's some, whatever little piece of unbelief that's inside of me, I confess it before you. Lord, help me to learn to believe you fully and completely. I just admire that man. And that's, I think that's something all of us can, can strive for. Say, Lord, I believe, but if there, in any manner that I'm not believing and I'm, my life is not consistent and I'm, uh, somehow I am defiled and somehow I, I, I've caused shame to you. For Lord, help me in that unbelief, that portion. Teach me how to understand you, how to believe in you more fully, more completely. Because I don't want to be a person that's defiled or makes you ashamed in any way. Oh, that we all could be people that are continually laying, calling out to God, laying ourselves out before God and say, I believe God, I believe everything about you that I know of, and whatever it is that I don't fully understand, Lord, show me. Teach me. Give me lessons. Give me experiences, whatever it is, Lord, to, to humble me, to bring me to a, a, a knowledge of wanting to know you more completely because I want the fruit of my life to bear fr fruit that's good fruit, that's going to be a glorifying aspect to you that I might not be defiled or cause any shame to you. Lord, help us all to be people that are asking God to show us how to believe him more fully. Let's have a song. Before we go to prayer, I just want to thank each of the the people, the men that were able to be here yesterday for the workday. There was a lot of people here, a big response, and just there's a lot of joy in working together. And I don't know if, if the trustees felt like they got everything accomplished, but there, I think there was a lot of things, a lot of different kinds of things that were accomplished, and it was just a, a great time of fellowship and working together. Uh, Brother Zach, could you lead us in closing prayer? <laughs>